Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Other Side Podcast, Episode 82. And March 7th is the day. Yes, it is. And uh, this is very exciting for us because this week we're going to be coming at you with live events. Yes. We had our last Wisconsin show last weekend. Yes, for the month. Before, right, (laughs) before we head out and hit the road and hopefully meet some of you while we're out on the road. Absolutely. So um, we'll we'll be out for like 10 days in, I think, like seven different cities. And so if you are in Cincinnati... Nashville or New Orleans, right. I think that's, they're in striking distance of this podcast. They are. So uh, Cincinnati <laughs> will be there on Saturday, and Nashville will be there on Sunday, Music City, USA. Yep. And uh, New Orleans. On Monday. The Saints will come marching in on Monday. I can't wait, because I want to go to Cafe Du Monde and get one of those beignets. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I want to go to the, all the voodoo shops I can find again. <laughs> of course. And... Um, <laughs> And Cincinnati is always fun. In fact, next Monday, we'll be doing a podcast, interviewed a whole uh, a paranormal investigators from the Cincinnati area. Excellent. So they gave us some tips for some places we can check out when we're there. Oh, great. And they'll be doing that from the road. So it's going to be a combination of music and uh, like some live weird and haunted history. And uh, they're going to be free events that we're going to be doing on the road in these different cities. So like a See You on the Other Side tour. You can see that at otherSidePodcast.com slash tour. We're going to have all the details there at otherSidePodcast.com slash tour. That's right. And so we'll have links to the different event pages and um, the times and places and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And if you're in any of those cities and would care to, to meet us, we'd love to, to meet. We'd love meeting. We love making friends on the road. That's right. Exactly. Always a good time. And uh, this is going to be fun too because we're going to do it from, uh, we're going to go to like the haunted sites around there. Yes. And just we're to do a little presentation in front of them, play some music in front of them. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's something different. Definitely. And um, we were looking at like different kind of places that we could play or shows we could put nice. on. And we're like, let's actually go to a haunted place and set up and, yeah. you know, play some songs and tell a few stories about the area. Right. So if you're interested in learning more about your town, urban legends, weird history, things like that, that's kind of what we're going to be doing. So we're picking some stories from each city, telling the stories, playing some songs. And then also we'd love to hear your stories too, meet right. in person and hang out. And um, if you're not from those cities, we will also be live broadcasting those on our website. So Right. We're going to be webcasting. Like the tour is going to be a lot of fun. We're headed down to South by Southwest in Austin. And that's kind of like the climax, the culmination of the trip. And every year we come down there. And so this year we're, we're taking a little wider route to come down so we can check out some paranormal stuff yeah. uh, on the way in. Looking forward to it. So othersidepodcast.com slash tour is where you can find that information. Right. You know, speaking of cities that we're going to be visiting sometime soon, the person we interviewed this week, Kristen Lumen from Ghost Mine. She was on Ghost Hunters this season too. Cool. So she's on cool. three episodes of Ghost Hunters this wow. season. And on Reels Network's Behind the Screams, she talked to us from her home in Los Angeles. Great. And any of you LA people, we're going to be out there at the end of April. That's right. So we will be doing similar kind of events 
in Los Angeles, the City of Angels, at the end of April this That's year. That's right. So we're com- coming at you. So uh, we had already interviewed Kristen's partner on the show Ghost Mine on the Sci-Fi Network. We interviewed him, Patrick Doyle, a few months ago. And he was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was a really cool interview. I enjoyed it. And so Kristen has a lot of stories and a very interesting person as well. Because not only is she a, a paranormal researcher, she's also a hypnotherapist. So we go ah. into detail about those different aspects of her uh, career. You are getting sleepier. Yeah, she she hypnotized me. It was the greatest interview. It was better than cats. <laughs> Just gonna... Mike snoring for, <laughs> right. for 45 minutes. <laughs> I was hypnotized, and um, I'm going to watch Ghost Mine again and again and again. And you should, too. Anyway, let's All check right. the interview out. We're here with Kristen Lumen, a uh, paranormal researcher and hypnotherapist. And uh, she was one of the stars of Ghost Mine on the Sci-Fi Channel. And she's also recently appeared on their flagship ghost uh, investigation program, Ghost Hunters. So uh, I would like to welcome uh, Kristen Lumen to the show. Hi, Kristen. How are you doing today? Hi. Thank you. For the people, the listeners who might not be familiar with you, let's talk a little bit about your background and what got you into the paranormal. So let's start with a little bit where you're from. I'm from um, Oregon. Okay. Oregon area. I do live in Los Angeles now, though. I'm an LA girl now, but i I miss the uh, I miss nature. <laughs> sure. I miss the green of Oregon. Why well, are you Are you one of those people that misses the seasons too? Yeah. Oh, completely. Com- everyone's always like, "Oh, it rains." All the Californians it rains so much in Oregon. I'm like, "No, it doesn't rain so much. It just has every season." Here it's and it's gorgeous. I shouldn't complain because it's, it's. I mean, you have sun all year round here, and it's always beautiful weather. But sometimes, you know, it's nice to see a little snow or a little rain here and there. You know. Well, um, I, I don't know if I can agree with you on that one. I'm in Madison, <laughs> Wisconsin, and we're, we're preparing oh. for. It's supposed to be a winter storm warning starting right now. Oh boy. Oh, yeah, I know. And it's funny, too, because we used to always, um, uh, people used to always make fun of Oregonians, uh, Midwest people, um, because they, we would always make such a big deal whenever it was just a little bit of flakes, you know, a little bit of snow. It was like blizzard 2013. Right. And now that I moved to LA, same thing, but with rain. Everyone, and when it rains in LA, it's nobody leaves their home. Uh, if you have a birthday party or something, you expect nobody show up because it's raining. It's just so funny. So um, now I know, you know, I see how other people feel now that I'm here and I experience the rain and how people go crazy over it. So uh, back when you were growing up in, in uh, Oregon, were you into paranormal stuff from an early age? Yes. Um, I was always a very imaginative child and I, you know, loved anything that consisted of magic and fairy tales and fairies and all these wonderful, um, you know, anything that had to do with fairy tale books I I loved. And I think because of that, uh, the supernatural was the close, the realest I could um, get to that sort of make-believe world because the supernatural was something that wasn't exactly, um, you know, people believed in it. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was, you know, sort of like magic. And so even at a very young age, I was very fascinated by it. And I used to, um, you know, when we have slumber parties, I was always doing light as a feather, stiff as a board with little girls. I was doing past life regressions before I knew what past life regressions were. I would have them, or I would try to actually, this is horrible to admit, but I would actually try to get them possessed. 
All um, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> these little nine-year-old girls, and we lay out the pillows. And I'd rub their temples, and I'd say, okay, now you're going back. And I would either take them back to another life, or I'd say, if anybody's in the room, please speak through her. And um, so I was a real hit at all the summer parties, and I started the Ghost Club. I was the head leader of the Ghost Club, where we would, you know, go on these little investigations that were, you know, just little girls having fun, but still, you know, scared us. And uh, I was just so fascinated and wanted to learn everything I could. I checked out every paranormal book I could, which, you know, when I say paranormal book, the little ghost stories right. out of elementary school library. Um, so I've always been really into it. And then about the age of 12 or 13, I sort of moved away from it. Um, my mom had a talking to me. <laughs> sure. Well, were you the kind of person who's always bringing the, the Ouija board to the parties I was and stuff? I going to say that. Yeah. I yeah always, me, no, me too. That's cool. I was a Ouija board. And then my, um, my girlfriend, her father uh, had this beautiful museum down in his basement where he collected all these antiques and he had a very old Ouija board and we just, uh, we loved that. And it got to the point though, where my mom was like, it's, you need to go outside and not play with the Ouija board today. And then I finally sort of drifted away. Um, it wasn't until in college, um, well, I always still kind of dabbled at it in high school, you mm -hmm. know, I was taking everybody to the graveyards or anything. Um, I lived out in the country and so I was taking anybody to any old abandoned farmhouses or, um, graveyards. That was always a favorite of mine. Um, but I didn't become more serious about it until again, back in college, um, I took psychology as my degree, and they offered a few courses on paranormal psychology. Wait, now that sounds awesome. Like, which now oh. I, I did this when I went to college, and I did I did psychology. Like the closest I could get was doing like a like an ESP experiment in my you know experimental psychology class and stuff. So what what university had uh, any kind of paranormal classes in it? Portland State University. Port Portland's motto is keep Portland weird. That's right. Their <laughs> and, um, and they had, I think it was three. I took a paranormal psychology. I think I took two paranormal psychologies and there was another, like, um, it was, it, it wasn't exactly called paranormal, but it was something to do with what our mind can manifest and create. And it had to do a more like metaphysical, uh, uh, psychological, uh, psychology. And so, um, it was an, it was a really cool class and it covered all sorts of things. Um, it covered uh, not just, you know, the paranormal, but near-death. I wrote my paper on near-death experiences. Awesome. Um, yeah. So it, it covered, and it really, it was really awesome for me because I always loved that paranormal world. And I loved learning about the mind. And I did not know that you could put them together. And once I learned that, boy, just even more doors were open because then I started seeing the um really the mysteries of the mind the mind itself to me is paranormal and being able to be amazed by what we manifest by our mind actually uh psychologically um more so than what is actually paranormal and then, even then when you debunk it and say okay this is actually something that's going on psychologically it's still pretty cool like it's still pretty cool that our mind actually can hallucinate to give an answer for something that's unexplainable. You can actually have visual hallucinations just because the mind has to have an answer for everything. It's incredible to me. Did you have any kind of experience yourself when you were younger that you were like, okay, now I know there's something out there? Not really. Um, 
You know, when I was younger and I was really involved in the Ouija board, <laughs> back to that good old Ouija board. Oh, yeah. Um, there were some things that were a bit unexplainable, like music playing when the radio was unplugged, uh, not just turned off, but actually unplugged, things like that. But also I was um, 12 to 13 at a very impressionable <laughs> suggestible <laughs> right you're at that that uh adolescent girl poltergeist age yes yes so for um i'm not quite sure how much of that was actually possibly paranormal or just my you know 13 year old imagination so i never really use that as an example of oh yes i experienced this at a young age which sort of motivated me to get into this so it was just it was something you were always into and oh, then you, yeah. you did some studies on it in college Mm-hmm. And, um, okay. And then, so you're into it, you get your degree and then, uh, you go to Los Angeles. I go to Los Angeles because we actually lived in Los Angeles for a few years when I was a young girl and I absolutely, I loved it. And, um, I always told myself, I told my parents that I would go back and my, my best friend and I, my best friend since nine years old planned that we would move there together. And we actually uh, succeeded in our goal. And so we moved to LA together. Um, you know, just young years having fun. Now, at well, at the at the time, were you thinking like, okay, I want to, you know, get involved? Like, what were you thinking career wise? Like, did you think like I want to be a, a paranormal personality on television? Uh, no, no. But the funny thing is, is that before I was offered um, the spot on uh, Ghost Mine, I was watching Fact or Fiction. Oh yeah, and, on Sci Fi and. Someone was uh, a friend of mine was there at the house and kind of made fun of me for watching it. And I said, "Are you kidding me? This would be my dream job, my dream job." <laughs> and then a few months later, which was so crazy, how it all came about. And the cool thing was, I think too, was that it was right in the right time of my life because I'd graduated in psychology. I had just got certified as a hypnotherapist, so I had the credibility of the psychology education and then uh, the credibility of understanding the subconscious mind in my hypnotherapy education. And because of that, um, I believe they picked me because I sort of, I don't want to say I debunk everything or disprove everything, but I always try to come up with a psychological answer for it more so than jumping to the confirmation that it is paranormal. So on, on Ghost Mine, you were more like the uh, the Scully to Patrick Doyle's Mulder? Yeah, they really liked that too with the red hair. They really liked <laughs> the Scully reference. Yeah. Um, so that was, but you know, and it was funny because sometimes even though they picked me for that, they're like, um, can you word that a little differently so we don't completely, you know, completely disprove it. You know, there are some gaps for yeah, possible other conclusions and okay, fine. I'll say it differently, you know, or, um, and Patrick and I, uh, we had different views and I think that they liked that too. Um, even in our first, we had a first like run through, uh, with the producers, um, when we went into this area that was haunted and, um, it was this area in the woods in Topanga Canyon and, okay. They had a sort of, it was kind of our audition, I guess you would call it. So, the, so, so set this up as an audition. Okay, so, I mean, how did they find you? Was it through an agent or something or? Patrick knew me from, I knew Patrick from Portland. I mean, we knew each other that we both liked this kind of stuff. And we knew, um, we weren't like team members, but we had known each other of being on investigations and, and knowing each other through the sort of the paranormal, you know, world there. 
And so when he, when they asked him to do it, he recommended me, but there were other people that were also recommended. And so when we were sort of doing, um, when we were working together for just to see how, you know, they partnered us up to see who works the best together. And Patrick and I had worked together before, so it was an easy pair. But I think what they really liked too, is that, um, we argued, (laughs) we got got in an argument during the investigation. And, um, I think they really liked that though, because it wasn't, uh, it wasn't any, we weren't putting each other down in any way, but it was, he was sort of trying to provoke the ghost and yell at it. And, and I said, well, you know, and it was so funny because I'd never been on a show for anything like that or anything. And so when they turned to me and and I said, well, why are you doing it that way? I want to do it that way. And they all of a sudden stopped and they looked at me and they're like, well, what would you do? And I'm like, well, I, I would just talk nicer. <laughs> you know, even though someone's passed on, doesn't mean they want to be talked rudely to, you know, right. they're a person once. And so, um, and so it was just really funny how, uh, the, our dynamics sort of work together. And, um, and he's like, I mean, you can see it on screen. We argued all the way through mm-hmm. mine, but in a playful, you know, brother, sister way. And he was really always, um, watching out for me, Kristen, it's going to be cold out. Did you bring your coat? Oh, thank you, Patrick. You're right. I should go back and get my coat. Like he, um, we have a really special relationship that we can be that way together and, um, still respect each other's views and not take anything too personally because I really, he is so intelligent and especially with technology boy. I mean, the guy knows his stuff. And, um, so I really admire him. And I love working with them because I learn more. Well, they, so they take you out on a uh, <clears throat> your audition as they take you out to Topanga Canyon to a, to a haunted area mm-hmm. on some kind of ghost hunt dry run. And so yeah. when, when you're on an audition like that, they bring a they bring a camera. Does a producer come? What kind of equipment did you guys? Yeah, have? they bring a camera. It's just like being on the show. It's just like being on the show. So you, you know, you always have a camera following you around, and it's just to see. I mean, I think it was also one of those things where it's just to see. Um, how you work together because we told them we work together fine, but they want to see it, you know? Sure. And um, so it's, it's, I mean, it was like being on ghost mine. We were out in the woods and um, we had done a little research. I had done a little research. Patrick had done a little research. And I think that was also kind of, they wanted to see if we just expected them to find things for us, or we actually did our homework to find the history of the place and bring something basically to the table. And, uh, and, obviously, you know, seem to know what we're doing, <laughs> but it was funny because everyone brought these like very professional briefcase briefcases. And I just had this like backpack, <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, we're going hiking. I don't know if I'll be uh, asked back again, but, we'll <laughs> see. Um, but I think it was really about, uh, Patrick and, and, and my being able to sort of bounce off each other and, bring in both of our views and not just one thing. Okay. Okay. You want to do it that way? You do it that. Okay. You know, we were able to sort of share what we wanted to do and we listened to each other. So when you have that, and this is something I always wonder about the, um, you know, the paranormal reality shows when you, when you guys are out there and you got a camera person with you and, and you're going through it, like what kind of instructions do you get? You know, do they say, you know, um, do you get like, well, don't come back until you get, you know, get a reading or something? Or, I mean, what are the, what are the kind of expectations you have? Is it, I mean, is the cameraman like throwing stuff at you or anything? Or is it really just like you guys out there and they capture that? 
they capture we there's usually always a camera guy and a sound guy but in all honesty they those those guys who do these kind of jobs um i have so much respect and admiration for them i could never do what they do in the way of they don't have flashlights they are running blind behind us. They have their infrared cameras so they can sort of see. But when, when Patrick and I are taking off because we hear a noise and we're literally kind of running through the woods, we can see where we're going. We're running over branches. We're doing, the camera guys don't have anything. So, you know, they were falling. They were getting, one of them had to get stitches. Um, you know, they're trying to keep up with us as much as possible. And we, you forget that they're there. The only time it was really present to me that I was aware really that we, they were there when we were in the mine because it's such closed um enclosed quarters and there's a part of the mine where the wood is so old um that you could stick your finger through it and these are the beams that are holding it up yes and so um that's the only time i was really uh, aware of the cameraman because i was so afraid that when they were trying to get the angles of us doing what we're doing um, they're not, they're in, they're there in the moment as well. So they're like leaning back and doing it. And I'm like, uh, you're leaning back on the wood. You're leaning back. Right. It could be curtains you know? for them at any time. You know? Yeah. So I'm trying to pay attention to what I, what, you know, when I'm doing my investigation, but also I'm like, I don't want to die today. So can we please make sure that that's part of the, you know, safety requirements <laughs> that we, you know, steer clear of these, of this rotten wood. So, um, and then it came to the point on the second season, actually the, the area I'm talking about, we weren't allowed to even go back there because it was so bad. When you guys were doing that, did you have any kind of experience where you were like, well, I just can't explain this. Like this is not, I mean, we were talking about how you have the, you know, a scientific perspective to things, or at least the kind of perspective where maybe not debunking, so to speak, but being able to explain it in a way that maybe not supernatural, can you describe a moment where you're like, yeah, I have no idea what that was? There was a picture we got at the face of the mine that um, I don't know how light could have reflected it. Um, I don't know. We were so far in that it wasn't moisture. Um, because if you take pictures on the front, on the outside of the mine, um, when you walk in on the entry, because of the um, moisture in the air, you know, it creates sort of a mist and that can be confused when people do when the flash of the camera. Um, and that's the first picture we were actually given to sort of look over and bull Patrick and I immediately debunk that. Um, but there was that, that picture, which I couldn't um, very well explain. Um, there were a lot of EVPs that we got. Um, one they didn't include in the show, which was very strange to me. Um, but what was the most, um, to me was the most clear and just so strange <laughs> because it sounded exactly like an old 49 or minor, like cartoon. <laughs> and it was the funniest thing. And I know exactly what we were doing when it, we caught it. And a lot of times, um, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I've asked, you know, other investigators if they've experienced this. And a lot of times they say, oh, yeah, totally. That um, when I catch a lot of my EVPs, it's not when I'm asking questions. It's after I've asked the questions and I've sort of been moving on to something else and I'm just kind of holding it and it's still on, re you know, I haven't turned it off, the recorder off. And I don't know if that's because um, it's sort of manifesting 
um, the spirit to be able to speak back. I'm not sure what the explanation of that is, but uh, a lot of times when people have said, oh yeah, I got this EVP, I said, okay, when did you get it? And it's not when they were exactly asking the questions. It was when they were sort of in the middle of moving on to something else. And at that time, it was just three of us in the mine. And um, it was, it was yeah, three or four of us in the mine, Jay, Papa Smurf, Patrick, and I think the, um, I don't even think a camera guy was in there because we were in the middle where everyone was setting up and the sound guy might've been in there, but, um, we just, it was distinct. Here's lucky, like this very loud, distinct voice. And there's no way that the guys were making jokes all the time. The miners were the greatest, funniest group of people, but there's no way that that wouldn't have happened on EVP. And you wouldn't have heard us laugh afterwards if we would have heard it because we totally would have laughed afterwards if we had heard it, you know, and I would have remembered if someone did that joke. And so it was just really both Patrick and I were really puzzled by that. Now, was that something that came up on, um, the actual, like the, the sound from the, the sound guy, or did that come up on a recorder you guys brought or? Yeah, it was on Patrick's and, and uh, my recorder, our little digital recorder. Any moments in the mind that weren't related to like your physical safety that you felt any, you know, like sc- scared by something or uh, like you could palpably tell that there was something in the mind with you? Well, the thing is with m- me, my first instinct is, you know, scared because it's unexplainable. And then I quickly try to rationalize it. And, um, the knocking in the mine, when you would hear the actual, um, tools being used when nobody was in there, was really sort of spooky. Um, but then when, but then you have to remember too, that there are other people, there's other, um, there are other mines in that mountain. So, you know, I'm always trying to rationalize, well, what happens if it's another mine? And, you know, when I talk to the miners about this, they're like, you wouldn't be hearing that from another mine. But I'm always trying to, you know, find an answer. And there's one actual, I think it was in the first season, where there's a growling noise. And, um, and I'm always more afraid of the physical than I am of the supernatural, especially in the mine. Because any noise you hear, it you kind of go on this, uh, is it is supernatural or is it um, environmental? And if it's environmental, does that mean the mine's about to cave in? Right. There's a lot better chance of the mine falling in on you than a ghost doing something bad to you. Yeah. Yes. And so you always have that sort of duality of, ooh, what is this? And so when we were in the back of the mine and um, there was that low growling noise. And the cool thing is, too, the earth actually moves. You hear the earth moving. The earth actually can make sort of a growling noise while you're in there, which is really remarkable. And um, But there was this low growling. And, um, and whether it's supernatural or environmental, either one of those, you hear growling is not good. Right. And so – but there's this the scene where it the camera pans on my face while I'm trying to figure out where the noise is coming from. And it is sheer panic. And I am feeling, I mean, it caught it. I was terrified. And, um, and it's so funny because even my mom, well, after she watched the episode, she's like, you were really scared right there. <laughs> As only a mother would know, you know? And I was like, yeah, that was really scary for me because you're thinking paranormal is it? And I thought it was a bear. I wasn't sure if it was a bear, you know, somewhere in one of the tunnels. And I was just, uh, and you know, there's not supposed to be bears up there, but your, you know, your imagination's going sort of crazy. Mm-hmm. And, um, the miners had 
told, made up this whole story about a Sasquatch that lived up there and that they smelled him and heard him and all this stuff. So then you have that going. Right. <laughs> You're like, like, I don't know if I necessarily believe in Sasquatch, but <laughs> this, are we about to discover a Sasquatch? You know, so you have right. This could be the, this could be your big moment where you discover yeah. Bigfoot. In the, it could also be your last moment where you discover it Bigfoot in the mind. The last moment, and so um, that's always. I mean, you always have a bit of anxiety, at least I did, always a bit of anxiety going in there. And you're in, I mean, when you turn off the lights, you, nothing's as pitch black as those tunnels. Well, yeah, and, you're you're inside, I mean, you're inside the earth, like, there's no yeah. sun coming. No. And it's free, it's the worst conditions almost you can imagine because it's freezing, it's it's water, we have to wear steel-toed boots in there, and... Your toes, no matter how many little hand warmers I put in there, um, are freezing because the steel toe boots, you know, obviously get cold. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's not a fun place to be. So you're already sort of miserable while you're in there. And then, and then when we, have te- uh, Patrick and I set up the, the camera system in there. Oh my goodness. That was um, torturous. <laughs> we were in there for like six hours <laughs> trying to get this camera system. and uh, But it was really cool to be able to watch the mine while we were in um, our, they call it the PI, Paranormal Investigator Shack. Right. Um, so that was really cool to be able to, you know, watch. And you have all of these little dust um little dust particles floating through the cameras and catching the light. And so you're always like, what's that? What's that? You know, you have to make sure you're, making it, you know, that it's dust and not an orb, you know? Right. So, um, so you mentioned that they caught you looking scared. Uh, was there ever anything where you were like, Hey, I really wasn't, you know, I've, I had some friends on reality shows and they were like, they always, you know, got me crying. And then they used it for some different kind of shot and you know, they used it for some different part of the storyline or whatever. I'm glad you brought that up because and it has followed me around and it really bothered me actually, because, and I will give my disclaimer before I say it, that, we are humans are born with two innate fears, two fears that we are all born with. And that is falling backwards and loud noises. Whether people think we're you know born being scared of reptiles, it's not true. We're born of falling backward, being afraid of falling backwards and loud noises. And so you bang anything and you're most likely going to get a little scream out of me. And so um, there was a time where something fell and I, just naturally reacted by screaming. Sure. And they as used you do. That, as I do. It's an innate. So I'm really tr- if you can tell, I'm really trying to, you know, push that point. Yeah. Um, but they uh, they use that scream when I um, we th- we thought we thought we had seen something uh, on one of our investigations, and they on, a, on the thermal camera, and they use that scream when I saw it, and I'm like, that is embarrassing guys like I wouldn't scream when I saw that and it makes me look like I'm an amateur and I don't know what I'm doing out there and so that that did bother me um and I got a lot of flack for it well that, that that's interesting and I, I think that was going to move into my my next question I wanted to ask about so you had that experience you guys had this, the, the couple seasons of the ghost mine and then when you moved on to the uh the ghost hunters and you did three episodes of them right yeah and when you did that, was there any, like, how was working with that team different than working with the Ghost Mind team? Because th- that show's been on for 10 years. Yeah. Um, the, the real difference was, for me, is that I was stuck on a mountain with these men for 
two summers. <laughs> so um, we were a family and it was literally like every day, hu hugs, hello. It was the, the most wonderful people. And so with ghost hunters, it was, um, it, you know, it was family with them, but I was an, I was the outsider, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it was sort of trying to find my niche and, um, it was, you know, just getting to know how another group goes about their investigations and, um, and they know each other all so well and they're all from the East coast and, you know, I'm being, you know, I'm little miss LA. Right. And, um, <laughs> you know, and we know the East coast feels about the, the, uh, Los Angeles, the Hollywooders, but, um, Hollyweird as I right. call it. Um, but, uh, it was really cool to be able to learn from them, to work with all different members of the team, really because they put paranormal investigating on the map and made it a common household okay thing to do. Um, so I really admire them and look up to them for, they really paved the way. I mean, if it wasn't for ghost hunters, there might've never been a ghost mine. Right. So, um, it was really great for me to work with these people and see how they go about, um, their investigations and also how they just are in their downtime and how seriously they take it. And, um, I always think it's really cool to work with other investigators and other investigators and see if, um, our energy, the way we sort of uh, connect with each other, if that brings about more of an experience possibly mm -hmm. or less of an experience, you know, and I even talked to the guys about that. I said, you, you know, notice when you work with one of the particular, another member of the team, if you notice you, you catch more evidence and, you know, some of them said, yeah. Did those guys use more equipment? than what you guys used in the ghost mine? Because I know, you know, Patrick's like, he's like, I, all you need to do is show up with like a camera and a, you know, and a pencil or whatever. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's a very minimalist when it comes to that kind of research. And it's, I feel like when I watch ghost hunters, those guys are like, they're bringing out the EPK meters and you know, all that, like they look like the ghostbusters out there with all the cameras and stuff like that. Well, I don't know if they really, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I don't think they used any more equipment than we did. We had all of our cameras set up, all our remote cameras. Um, we would have all of our IR. We'd have um, our digital cameras, real-time recorders, regular digital recorders. Um, I'm trying to think if they did anything different, really, than Patrick and I did. Um be besides though you see in the beginning of every show they're setting up all their cameras right and patrick and i were sort of limited because we were in the middle of the woods we were able to set it up in the mine and then we did a whole um town-wide investigation where we set up the cameras all throughout the town but our show i think because there's such a story with it because we're also investigating history and they're also telling about all the history of the town mm -hmm. Um, I don't think they spent a lot of time showing our prep work as they do. Cause ghost hunters, we always show the prep work and we show us turning off lights, turning back on and sure. setting this camera up and setting that camera up. And with, um, ghost mind, they didn't spend as much time showing what we were doing. Cause I honestly don't think, I mean, we didn't have, they didn't have time for it. There was so much stuff that was left on the cutting room floor that I'm like, why, why was that taken out? That was such a great, you know, because they had, we were there literally, filming almost six days a week, um, for three months. And they had to put that into an hour long program. Um, and I mean, there's just so much, there's just so much footage. Is there a, any, uh, besides the EVP you were talking about, any particular evidence or experiences that you were like, Oh man, this was really convincing or this, you know, this really had me. And 
damn, I wish they would have showed it. Um, there were some, you know, visual things that we saw that the camera didn't catch. Um, there was one thing we caught on thermal in the dredge. Like what kind of visual things? Like it wasn't like just some, like some old minor dude walking in front of you, was it? Oh no, it was like, it was like a, a, a total white human form. And, um, that wasn't caught. And that was, that really, that's one that really got Pat, Patrick. Um, and that was really cool because when it shows up white, it's kind of confusing. It's like, is the person naked? What's going on here? Well, uh, so when you say like a white human form, yeah, like, like all I can think of is that movie powder. Um, yeah. but like, but it was on the thermal, it was on the thermal camera. And so on the thermal camera, could you make out the kind of features? No, it was literally just a form. It was like, um, it was, it was just a white shape. It was a white shape as a human form. So like a white silhouette. Yeah. And was it accompanied by any kind of other, like a, a temperature drop in the room or a change in the EMF or. Oh, so weird. It was just, that was the, that was white and the rest of it was all the colors that it should be. So that was the really strange thing about catching that. And that was in the dredge. And that's actually when we heard some footsteps upstairs. So, and, and the dredge was where there had been workers there saying that they had, you know, seen and heard and people walking up and down the stairs and, but you know, there's so much old equipment in there. You're kind of, and it's old and the, you know, the wind comes through, everything creaks, but that was a very, and I didn't actually see this. So this was Patrick saw this. I didn't actually see it. He, um, I was coming up the stairs behind him and he did one of these, and I can tell when Patrick gets really excited, you know? And so he was really, I mean, he, <laughs> ran to the area and you know I'm trying to chase them and and you have to also I mean so many of the places that we went to were um you know they don't allow people there because it's it could fall apart any at any moment and so that's the again we're in the dredge and there are places that we could walk and there's places that we couldn't walk and when you get excited you're running all over the place mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I'm chasing him, but then thinking, I think this might be the place where I'm, <laughs> you know, it's not where supposed to be here. Right. You know? All of a sudden you're, you know, you're falling into the you know, the center of the earth. Yeah. I'm like, how, how, how important is this to me? <laughs> <laughs> how important is my research? So, um, but yeah, that was a really cool um, experience. I mean, and I could see in Patrick's face that he just thought that was awesome. So. Um, but that was one thing that we didn't catch that wasn't shown. I think we talked about it though. We talked to the miners about it, but we didn't have video of it. Um, yeah. So as ghost mine finished up, did that open up all new kinds of opportunities and stuff for you in a way of like investigations or, I mean, what kind of paranormal world did being the host of that show introduce to you? Well, it, it, um, you know, un- unfortunately, I think the market has been somewhat saturated. And so it's not like all these shows are calling up and being like, oh, Kristen, can we get you on this? Can we get you on that? And um, I was really happy to be able to do Ghost Hunters and then um, was asked to do Behind the Screams. Um, and then, of course, you get, you know, requests for um, uh, joining, investigating joining investigative groups and going around and um, taking people to do that with you. Um, Did you have anybody in your life, like once they found out that you were into that stuff, like, Hey, and tell you some kind of story that, you know, they never told you before. 
Did I have anybody? I had everybody. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I this is my, you know this is what I do now. And um, but I'm telling you, I think I you know I make more people more disappointed than happy because I'm like, well, that could have been paranormal, or it could have been this, this, and this, this. Um, so, but we got you know I got all sorts of family members and friends and um. It, you know, the coolest thing was when I had some of my grade school friends who remembered my ghost club who actually, you know, contacted me. It was like, I cannot believe you're actually doing this now. Um, but I all stories, all kinds of stories. My mom even actually, when she was um, when she was visiting me in Sumter, because I'm or from Oregon, she was visiting me in Sumter while we were shooting. And she was at the bed and breakfast and had her own experience. And... Um, and that was really kind of cool that I, you know, a family member, my mom comes and visits me while I'm on set. and Right. You're not going to take away my Ouija board now, Ma. Yeah, I, I know. Exactly. <laughs> but um, yeah, and she was really worried about me to do the show. So it was actually kind of fun that she had her own little experience while she was there. Well, and you know, you were mentioning before that when people tell you the stories that when you can explain a lot of it because you understand uh, what kind of things the mind can do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that goes back into your uh, hypnotherapy. Yeah. And so, I mean, most of the time people think of hypnotherapy, they think of like, well, it's going to help somebody quit smoking or chewing their nails or, you know, whatever. I remember I used to bite my nails when I was a little kid. So like I took a hypnotherapy book out of, from the local library. And then you're like, oh, you're recording. I made a little recording of a, like on an on a ancient tape deck or whatever, and then played it before I went to bed to try to stop chewing my nails. How did it work for you? What a it, smart kid. It worked well, worked really well. Yeah. Worked really well. And I, uh, uh, sometimes I, now I, don't, I haven't chewed my nails in a long time. The problem is that sometimes I forget to cut them. <laughs> uh, so then I'm like, oh, I wish I chewed my nails still. No, but, um, but that kind of thing, the, the whole thing about people think of hypnotherapy. Now, I think of past life regression. Like, that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the first thing I get excited about. It's like, well, if you're going to be hypnotized, like, might as well go way back. Way back, yeah. Is that something you find yourself doing a lot? Um, actually, that's not something I do, which everyone's kind of like, what? You don't do past life regression? I've been trained in it, but it's not something, and I'll explain why. Okay. Um, because I am not, I don't know if I bought into it. Um, I've seen a lot of evidence uh, witnessed people going into these sort of altered states. I know of um, colleagues of mine who've told me stories about clients that they've had that have come in um, for, let's say, a neck pain or a back pain that's not medically um, explained. And they go into past life regression, found out that uh, the way that they died was you know hanging from the neck or something to do with the back, and then all of a sudden when they come back into present day, uh, that pain has miraculously disappeared, which is remarkable and amazing. That is interesting. Uh, yeah, it's really cool. Well, it's if you learned if you learned that you like died by hanging in a past life, you're like, oh man, what what did I do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, I mean, and then you can go back and you know sometimes they can take you back further and find out maybe what why you ended up dying in that manner. Um, but for me, I'm not positive that I believe in past lives. So, but I, you know, I'm kind of on the fence, but because of that, I wouldn't want 
um, that to take away from somebody else's experience. Uh, so let's say I'm taking them, leading them into a past life experience, yet I don't know if I fully believe in it. Am I going to transfer some of that belief um, subconsciously onto my client so they don't have the same experience they possibly could if they had a therapist who was full belief, I've done it, I'm in it, you know, kind of thing. And so I, um, you know, my job is to give the best sort of help I can to my client. And I don't feel like I would be, you know, doing them the best service. Sure. I, we, well, we did an episode about how, um, you know, how memory can sometimes be manufactured as well by people. And um, one of my good friends uh, studied under uh, Dr. Elizabeth Loftus at the University of Washington, and you know, and she did all that research into like how very uh, malleable memory is. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, it's incredible. And so I would always worry if I was a professional like yourself that I'm taking somebody back, and then I get all excited about it. I'm like, yeah, and then tell me about when the aliens abducted you, huh? <laughs> and then oh, yeah, past life, sweet, you were in the Civil War. Tell me, you know, tell me which battle you died at. Yeah, and and that's the thing, though, but. If you think about it that way, yes, it could be true and it could be untrue. But how I sort of see it when it works with hypnotherapy, if it helps to heal somebody, then more power to you. If that helps to make your neck pain go away, then I don't care whether it's real or not. I'm just happy it worked, you know? So so that's the way I kind of view it. Whether I believe in it or not, if it's beneficial for that person, then that is what that person needed. And I believe in, in that healing. Um, and, and that's, you know, you're right. They don't, they they were using hypnotherapy and hypnosis in the court systems and they did away with that because people were sometimes just sort of fabricating stories and didn't even realize they were doing it. Right. And, and, you know, I think that that's a, just a a good thing is a lot of people have this view of hypnotists, um, like they're magicians. I mean, that's because you, you, you're used to seeing like a, a hypnosis, like make you talk, you know, balk like a chicken or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. so people just get that kind of idea of mesmerism mm-hmm. more than hypnotherapy. Mm-hmm. And so for someone who maybe thinks about hypnotherapy like mesmerism, how would you describe how it works? Like what, what would you describe it as? Well, it's a very, very relaxed state. And when you go into that very relaxed state, you become more suggestible to yourself and you become more suggestible to whoever who's speaking to you. Um, it's that moment right before you fall asleep at night where you're almost asleep, but you're not quite, and you're yet still awake. And also when you're in hypnotherapy, um, and this is one of my theories, I believe, is that when we're in hypnosis or even in a deep meditative state, we release um, the body's own chemical called dopamine. Mm-hmm. And dopamine is that feel-good drug which makes everything just for a few seconds, the world is the most peaceful place. And that's how I feel when I bite into chocolate. For a few seconds, it is harmonious and euphoric and it's just wonderful. Well, dopamine is released at that time. And if you imagine while you're in hypnosis, if dopamine is being released, so you're in this really feel-good state, and I'm suggesting to you positive suggestions, you're going to be much more accessible. You're going to uh, be more easy to sort of um, convince that if there's something you want to change in your life, you can. Because if you think of someone's like, hey, Mike, you can do this. You can totally get this done. You're going to be great. And you're having a really cruddy day. You're going to be like, what are they talking about? They don't know anything. When you're feeling like so good inside and, you know, you're in that euphoric, wonderful Zen sort of place and someone's saying, yeah, 
you got this. You can do this. You're going to say, yeah, you're right. I can do this. So it's a team effort. It's I'm guiding you, but you're also agreeing to my guidance. And um, what's wonderful that when you're in hypnotherapy, we have the conscious mind. Then we have the critical barrier part of the mind, which kind of you know decides what gets let into the subconscious mind and what's what's not allowed in. And then we have the subconscious mind, and they say subconscious mind is about eighty eight percent of what we do on a daily basis, compared to the twelve percent of our conscious brain. Now, if we have a way into that subconscious brain, which is what happens when we're in hypnosis, that critical area, that barrier, sort of gets a little more smushy, as I like to say, and uh, we get gaps in there. So when you're in that state of mind, we can drop in those suggestions. And what I like to call the subconscious mind, it's like a lake. And it really is. Whatever falls in there stays in there. It really does. Okay. Anything falls in there stays in there. That's why there's a lot of times people come to um, hypnotherapists because they lost something and they can't remember where they put it. And so we'll take you into hypnotherapy when you're in that very suggestible state and we'll bring you back to that time. And all of a sudden you remember that your wedding ring was in, you know, the blazer of your suit outfit that's now hanging up in the closet. And so, um, because that memory is still there, we just can't access it as easily in our conscious state. And it's really a, it's the duality of the subconscious mind and the conscious. I've taken people into hypnosis and they've talked to me and they don't remember speaking to me or they've moved or, um, nodded yes or no. Mm -hmm. And they, they come out and think they were asleep. Um, but it, it gets to the root of an issue, um, fairly quickly because you're not there trying to block, um, whatever you're trying to either, uh, expose to help heal yourself or um, because it's sort of scary, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I always like, so somebody that thinks they're sleeping, like mm -hmm. when they're under hypnosis, can you actually make, I mean, I know you probably can't actually make somebody forget something, but you can kind of maybe wipe it off from their uh, conscious mind for, for a little bit so they don't think of it. So with somebody that's sleeping, is that like something you've suggested to them as part of pain therapy or something? Or do some people just don't remember what they do they when they're just, in that state? They're so deep. They just are there in la la land. And they're, but the, the thing that's, you know, cause when they come out, they say, I think I was asleep. And I said, well, you, when I started counting up, you came into full conscious awareness. So part of you was always listening. So part of you heard me when I said, okay, we're going to bring you out now. The so hidden you, observer or whatever. Yeah, you were, I mean, you know, the conscious mind might have been off doing something else, but the subconscious mind was paying attention to the point of when I count you out, you, you, you open your eyes. And if you were asleep, you wouldn't have known to do that. You would just keep on sleeping. And um, it, it's just a really, really, as I said before, relaxed state. Now, if I, if you were in hypnosis and you were sitting in my office and somebody just slammed open the door, you would be fully consciously, you'd come out. You would, oh, who's that? You don't go, you know, you're not off into this different place where if something emergency happened, you'd be just out. Um, you're still somewhat consciously aware. It's just you're so relaxed that you're sort of just drifting off somewhere else while we're talking about these positive suggestions. And the thing is that, you know, it also works very well for behavioral patterns that you want to release, um, you know, picking the wrong person in relationships um, because you've always done that. And that's what sort of is known to the mind. And that's a subconscious pattern that you keep doing that you're not even consciously aware you're picking the same person mm -hmm. over and over again. Um 
Or are there just negative habits, negative thinking patterns because you were raised with somebody in your family who was always negative. So that just became again, unknown for you. Um, something that was, uh, you experienced every day. So you sort of took that on and that became, you know, who you are, but we can always change that. And that's the really awesome thing. You know, 10 years ago, they used to think that whatever we came up with by the time we were like 30, all of our knowledge was sort of set in stone. But now that we're understanding neuroplasticity of the mind, um, we can always adapt and we can always create new neural pathways and create new associations. And hypnotherapy, I, I know I'm biased, obviously, because I'm a hypnotherapist, but was one of the fastest, most simplest, easiest, quickest, wonderfulest, effective ways to be able to, to do that. Well, and they, you know, they talk about meditation as a shortcut to spiritual experiences. They teach meditation, too. <laughs> So yeah. So that kind of thing. So you think that hypnosis can often in- induce that same kind of, um, I mean, maybe not a spiritual experience unless you, that unless that happens. But uh, you think that it, it can kind of bring up some of that kind of that awareness. Completely. Yeah. I mean, I've worked with. I've had a lot of clients. I've worked with once they were in hypnosis, and um, and I was not even talking about this. I was just talking about rest and relaxation or finding. You know connecting with the inner self and positivity and confidence that um, they actually had experiences of, of having full on conversations with loved ones that had passed on. And, um, and that is really remarkable. And they come out and they feel this conversation helped heal them in a way or um, help them move forward. And even though that's not even what they had come to see me for in the first place, it's really amazing how, when we go into that state of mind, like I said, we become more suggestible to ourselves. So when we go into that state of mind, uh, things that may have been consciously blocked are now more easy, easily accessed. And um, people, you know, I've had a lot of people believe they've had supernatural experiences when they're in hypnosis um, to help them move on. And a lot of times you'll hear people talking about when they go to sleep at night, when they have a dream, they'll dream of a family member or a loved one, a friend who had passed on and mm-hmm. they had this whole conversation and they wake up feeling a lot better or that they truly had that conversation with this person. Now, who am I to say that when we go into that altered state of the mind, that we don't somehow, that's sort of a gateway into, um, the other, you know, the other world beyond, um, you know, there's a lot of theorists that do believe that. Uh, so who's, who's to know, right, you know, right. and, and if hypnotherapy gets you to that same state as it does that dreamlike state, then why wouldn't somebody have that same sort of experience? Now, what, what would you recommend for, you know, resources and stuff? I was, uh, you know, looking at your site and, um, you had a whole bunch of YouTube videos and things where you, where you talk about hypnosis and manifestation and, and the possibilities that, can be unlocked by trying out these different states of awareness and stuff. So let's say somebody who's completely unfamiliar with it or something like that. What are some of the first uh, steps you might recommend for them to maybe start getting into using hypnosis for something positive in their life? Well, I mean, besides going to your website and you know (laughs) buying your services. Call me. me. Um, No, (laughs) I think the thing is is that I would recommend self-hypnosis, but self-hypnosis can be very tricky because you have to remember you are dealing with the part of the mind that whatever falls in stays in. And so if you go about it in the wrong way, you could actually be 
it could be detrimental to yourself. Um, if you're using the wrong kind of suggestions, the subconscious mind does not know the difference between good or bad. It just is. The conscious mind knows the difference between good and bad, but the subconscious mind does not know right or wrong, good or bad. It just, it is what it is. Now, is that why they say like, you're supposed to use positive, instead of saying like, I don't want to do this. Uh, like, you know, I, I would say, I don't want to get into a car accident or <laughs> next yeah. time I drive or whatever, you say like, I just want to drive really safely. Is, is that kind of yeah. an NLP kind of thing where you're... Yes, because if you think about it, um, and this is the way I explain it to my students, um, is that when we're... And because I have this a lot of my clients, I'll say, what do you want out of your life? What do you want? You know, what are, what are you here to see me and what do you really truly want to feel? What do you want to feel after this? And that most... <laughs> Every single one will start out with saying, well, I don't want to feel like I have it. I don't want to feel this, this. I go, stop. We got to, we got to go back here because what happens is like, just, and it's great that you pointed that out. When we focus on even what we don't want, guess what we're focusing on? We're focusing on that thing that we don't want. So the mind is, has that image of the mind in the mind of what it doesn't want, but the doesn't, the don't really doesn't matter because it's all it's focusing on is the car crash. And there's not a yes or a no in front of it. It's just focusing on a car crash. Great. Now I'm scared to get my car tomorrow. Yeah. No, 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 it doesn't work exactly that way. We're talking okay. more emotions and stuff. Okay. But that's how people self-prophesize what they don't want to happen in their life until actually making it happen. We need to focus on what we want, not what we don't want. Because when we focus on what we don't want, subconsciously, it almost becomes our value direction. We're not even aware of it. It just sort of paves the path of following in that direction. So if you want to, um, you know, be more successful, then you create that image of you at your most successful self and what it feels like, what you look like, who's surrounding you. And the beautiful thing is that the subconscious mind does not know the difference between imagination and reality. And so whatever you manifest, whatever you imagine in your mind, as far as your subconscious is concerned, it's really happening. So those of you that are great, uh, great at imagining or visualizing, boy, you, the world is your oyster. You can create what you want to create and, and, and have that feeling inside. And therefore, the body just sort of automatically, without you forcing it or having to remember this is what the path you're trying to go on, just starts to automatically follow in that direction. It, that image, you start to become led to. And it's it's amazing how that works. Are there any uh, like tricks or tips you might have for maybe somebody who's never actually tried to visualize something before but uh, thinks that it might be a positive influence in their life? Um. The tricks are use memory. We've all experienced things. So, you know, when I'm working with people and I said, imagine the sun and they're like, oh, the sun, I can't see it. I'm like, you know, the sun, you have a memory so you can recall the sun. So, um, or if you want to, uh, create manifest you at your most successful self, you can go ahead and remember a time where you felt very successful and bring up those images. The amazing thing is that if, all of our thoughts affect our body physically. When we think about something that scares us, we get those butterflies in our tummy. Um, there's that direct connection. So let's think those thoughts that are going to produce those good feelings in our body because our body does respond to our thoughts. Um, another wonderful way, and also to understand, and this is what I tell my, my students when we're doing a meditation class, is that if the visuals aren't coming to you right away, don't force them. It's okay because guess what? The way we naturally process information is through visuals. When we think about what we're going to do tomorrow or getting that project done or cleaning the car, we see quick images of us doing exactly that 
as we kind of, you know, categorize that or put that in order or on a schedule in our brain. And they're usually so quick that we're not, you know, very consciously aware of them, Mm -hmm. but that's how we process information. So it's very natural for you to be able to visualize. So once you get that feeling of, I have to come up with this thought or I have to come up with this idea and you just sort of let your mind do what it naturally does, you will get there. Even also, if you pretend, (laughs) I pretend I can see myself that way. It's pretty amazing once you put that pretend word in, all of a sudden those images come up as well. Very cool. And now if people want to learn more about you and they want to learn more about what you do or your latest projects, where would they go to find that? Um, I have my, I, my Facebook page. I have two Facebook pages, which is, um, one I, I keep more for my paranormal research and that's just Kristen Lumen, um, parapsychology researcher. And then I have my Kristen Lumen Facebook page, which I put a lot of my, um, hypnosis videos on, or if I'm uh, hosting a seminar so that's, that information is all there. And sometimes I sort of interchange, you know, if something's coming up that has to do with someone, you know, both, I'll put them on both pages. Also, I have a website, um, for my hypnotherapy practice. Um, just my name, kristenluman.com, K-R-I-S-T-E-N-L-U-M-A-N. Um, and that's where you can see all the videos of hypnotherapy. And also I have videos explaining really how it works. Fantastic. We're going to put that in our show notes as well. Any other uh, projects or anything like that you have coming up you're excited about that you want to plug? Well, I can't really talk about it. Okay. <laughs> but there are some things happening, which are, is really cool, and we're very excited about it. And there's, re- there's um, a reunion of some of the uh, members of Ghost Mines, so that's um, really cool. And I get to see the guys here in a couple months, and we're doing some investigations together, um, Patrick and Jay and I, in Oregon. And... Um, that's going to, I'm really excited to go out and, and hang out with them again. And, um, okay. So if you, so if you guys enjoyed uh, Kristen on ghost mine or ghost hunters or behind the screams, then uh, make sure that you follow her on Facebook and like those pages, because I'm sure when she does a, a, a new show or a cool event or something like that, you're going to put all that information on there. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Kristen. We really Thanks. appreciate it. And uh, we'll make sure that everybody goes and checks out your site. Okay. Thank you so much. It was really um, enjoyable talking with you. So we kind of try to do at the end there is to give people some tips about, you know, how to use the power of hypnotherapy in their lives. Very like some, cool. And we summarize that. I'm going to put that in the show notes this week. And that'll be at othersidepodcast.com slash 82 is where you can find the show notes and, and look at some of those tips that Kristen gave us Great. for improving your life through hypnotherapy. Well, what a cool tool to be able to try. Yeah. Know. And I, th- I thought she was uh, a lot of fun to talk to. Definitely. And so I'm looking forward to uh, the new stuff that she's got coming out. Uh, anyway, it was funny when I told her that we, you know, we, we put a song with an original Sunspot song with each episode. She's like, oh, well, you know, I'm really a Hotel California kind of girl. And, I'm, and Hotel California is absolutely one of my favorites. That is a great song. Um, but the song we picked for this week is definitely not Hotel California-like. No, no. Uh, but it does talk about hypnosis. And it talks about taking negative people out of your life. Kind okay. of excising the negativity from mm-hmm. your life. And this is a Sunspot song called Turn This Off. Don't turn off the podcast. No, 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 please. Don't want to be the background to your 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. You are getting sleepier. Yeah, she-